Okay, good morning, everyone. Good morning. I think we can begin at last. So, I hope you all had a good night. Right. So, <clears throat> we are going to begin talking about dependent arising, also known as dependent origination, dependent co-arising, dependent co-origination. But what it is basically is universal principle of causality. The way the Buddha stated it, when this is, that is. When this arises, that arises. When this isn't, that isn't. When this ceases, that ceases. <clears throat> and that seems pretty simple and straightforward, right? Kind of saying, so... What's the big deal? <laughs> Although, I'll point out to you that in, in the times that you have grown up in this Western science-based culture, uh, this is a pretty strongly... We tend to see things this way. Tend to much more so than people in the past. Um, mostly because we understand, uh, we understand more about how causality works and the different kinds of causes. When you can't understand how a particular effect comes about, then there's a tendency to think that, well, maybe, maybe it's a violation of causality, since since the rules of causality that I know don't seem to apply to this phenomenon, must be magic. <laughs> right? And, of course, for most of human history, an awful lot of what, what went on was inexplicable in terms of what people knew and understood. And so, this was really more uh, this is, was more a novel and dramatic thing to assert strongly in the time of the Buddha than it would be today. Although, although very, very few people today will have thought through the implications of this to the extent that the Buddha did. And also, I might mention, there is still that same tendency uh, among many people to, when they can't immediately see how the laws of causality as they understand them are bringing about a particular effect, who will still resort to an explanation that would be described as magical or supernatural. Oops, that wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> Slide, up, slide down again on your mouse with three fingers. There you go. Okay, yeah. What's happened here? This is not where we were at all. Testing the laws of causality. Okay. Maybe it'll work right. <laughs> 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 mm. Not Steve was going to be here this weekend. He's supposed to be. Uh, he made it too late today. Okay. So. The first, I'm going to go through several implications here of, of dependent arising, but the first one is very basic, is that nothing stands outside of cause and effect. And anything that appears to be supernatural or magic only appears that way because we don't fully understand the causes that are involved. So, the conclusion, the laws of causality are never violated. There are no exceptions, zero exceptions. When you see somebody walking on water, ask yourself where the rocks are. <laughs> or something like that. And uh, this was pretty revolutionary thought 2,500 years ago. And as a matter of fact, it's still a bit of a, a, a mind quaker for a lot of people today. You may not understand the laws of causality. Well, think what would happen if you showed up 
200 years ago with your cell phone and started talking to somebody. It must be magic. Now, you don't know, you don't know how a cell phone works. Most of you don't. Some of, some of you may. But most people don't. For years and I still don't know how it works. Well, I, I, few of us know how to really operate one. <laughs> but in terms of how it works, we, we pretty much take it for granted that that, yeah, I may not know. I may not know the, the the exactly how it works, but I know that if somebody explained it to me or I took the study tr- tr- trouble to study and learn about it, I find that it's just as it's just as obvious as how my bicycle works. So, uh, the laws of causality are never violated, and the Buddha through reflection and meditation and everything else came to the conclusion that he never found anything that stood outside of causality. So that's one of the implications there. Still pretty easy to... How do, how do miracles fit into that? Something that you see as a miracle does not stand outside. It's basically, it's basically denying the essential concept of a miracle. Something appears miraculous because you don't know how it's produced. How it came to be that way. But if you knew how, it's just like the cell phone. If you knew how, then that what made it a miracle would that quality would disappear. And all the Catholics right now are having fits all over the world. I heard you say that. That's all right. I don't mind. <laughs> I don't think the Buddha minds either. You know? um, uh, like I say, if you saw somebody walking through a wall, rather than assuming that it was a miracle, then you, instead you try to figure out how it is. And, and the thing is that we assume, if you see somebody walking through a wall, you assume that your perception is accurate. We always do that. We say, okay, my perception is accurate. Therefore, you know, you might suspect the wall. Maybe the wall is not the way it appears. Or else this person is magical or something like that. But you have to start with your with your perception because uh, magicians make you perceive all kinds of things, and of course, when you know how the magician does the trick, all of the mystery disappears, right? And the only reason the only reason that a magician can ever trick anybody is that we automatically assume that our perception is correct, and therefore something is happening out there, but it's just a manipulation of perception. So, what are the what are the implications of this implication? Well, one of the implications is that you can you can potentially understand causality, the laws of causality behind any phenomenon you see. It isn't it isn't miraculous. It isn't coming from some place that's inaccessible to you. So, one of the things it does, if you really understand and accept this, is it makes you feel like, yeah, it's, I can, I can understand this. I can figure this out. I can, I can know whatever it is that I need to know. I don't have to be defeated out of hand by saying, oh boy, this is, you know, you have to be a god to do that. And another one, big one, is that all that arises due to causes and conditions must also pass away. When the causes and conditions cease, and the effect ceases. So that means that everything is impermanent. As a matter of fact, in the sutras, sometimes it was that piece of information alone that was the trigger to bring about an an insight and an awakening. Um, Both both of the Buddha's chief disciples, the ones I mentioned last night that died shortly before he did, they were amongst uh, the very early people to uh, become followers of his. Uh, Sariputra and uh, Mahamodavana were their names. And 
they grew up in the same village, and they were they became spiritual seekers very early in their life. Uh, studied with many uh, teachers, and uh, didn't find what they were looking for, so they separated. Made a pact that if either one of them found found the answers to the questions that they were seeking answers to, that they would immediately let the other one know. And Sariputra encountered one of the very first, uh, uh, he was actually one of the five companions that the Buddha spoke to in his very first teaching. And um, that person uh, told Sariputra, well, he, he asked him who his teacher was, of course, you know, that was that was Sariputra's vocation, so somebody comes along who's a follower and a new teacher, you ask him about that. The, what does he teach? Well, he teaches that uh, all things that arise due to causes and conditions pass away. Now, Sariputra and Mahamogalana have been searching for years for the true self with the top people they could find to study with. How do you find the true self? What is the nature of the true self? You know, what am I really? And somebody comes along and says, all that arises due to causes and conditions must pass away. And that was all it took. Sorry, Peter got it. said, wow, I've been looking in the wrong direction the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> and at that point, because of all the, the, the practices, which I'm sure included some meditation and all the study and everything else he'd done, he became a stream metric. He realized that the, that the self he thought he was was an illusion, and he became a stream metric. So he hightails it off in search of Mogulana, and says, hey man, you can't believe what I just heard. And so he tells him, <laughs> he gets it too. So they both go off to, to uh, study with the Buddha and become his chief disciples. But all that arises due to causes and conditions must also pass away. And it's another idea that, yeah, it seems kind of obvious to us, but no matter how obvious it, it, it seems to you, I mean, there's a lot of scientists, brilliant scientists, who, when it comes to the external world, would totally agree with both of these implications of dependent arising, yet, in their heart, they're still looking for this imperishable self. They can't make that transition. The, the fact that, I, yeah, I can see that everything's due to causes and conditions, and what's due to causes and conditions passes away, but I can't see how that applies to me. And as a matter of fact, that's, that's one of the fundamental problems that, that we all have. We, we're not willing to let go of that particular thought. So anyway, that's just sort of a side issue, but this is, this is a really important implication here. Now, anything that arises does so in dependence upon multiple causes and conditions. It's not how we usually think. I, th I think you all already know this. I think we all already know that there are multiple causes and conditions required for everything. But it's not how we usually think. It was the match that caused the fire. Oh, yeah, yeah, the oxygen had to be there, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, this, oh, yeah, yeah, that, everything else. But we tend to think of causality as being pretty linear. This causes that. But when you when you think about it just a little bit, yeah, it's true. There are a whole lot of different causes and conditions for everything. Everything and every event, everything that happens, it it's a point of convergence of many different causes and conditions. It's only the last cause or the last condition that is arrived at that causes the effect to manifest. All of the other causes and conditions, they can be in place for years, but not until they're all present do you actually get the effect. So absolutely everything. So you and every single thing that ever happens to you you can picture it as this massive convergence. And that event, and that thing, or yourself, or whatever it is, is the, that we usually identify as, as the effect, the result, 
is actually the nexus of all of these different streams coming together. Now, that last one was something that, as I say, we may know it, but we don't often think in those terms. And, of course, it's good to start thinking in those terms because your, your perceptions will move a step closer to reality. Here's another one that we don't usually think... We, we, we don't really know this one. You have to think about this one for a minute or two, and then you really get it. Causes and effects always arise together. And you say, no, 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 wait a minute, you know. The cause has been there. The effect didn't happen until... <clears throat> right? But... Okay, so... Something is a result of multiple causes and effects, uh, causes and conditions. So all but one cause and condition is in place. But there's still no effect. But within, inherent within every one of those other causes and conditions is this effect. It's there in potentiality. If it were not there in potentiality, then it wouldn't be a cause or condition. It wouldn't have anything to do with the event that we'll call the result. Right? It's inherently there. And uh, so the effect has already arisen in a potential form in, in every one of its multitudinous causes. The same thing with the effect. You ever watch CSI? That's all about the causes are inherent in the effect. If you know how to look at the effect, you can figure out all the causes. Right? The whatever, whatever event or whatever thing that we're examining, we can, by examining it carefully, discern the causes and conditions that brought it about. Which, of course, uh, we do a lot of these days. We we have a pretty good understanding of uh, how the Earth came into existence, how life evolved, how the, how the universe has evolved, all kinds of past things. Yes? Can there be multiple potentialities in that, the cause and effect, the potentiality, but in that moment, the potential is kind of diverse? Not um, that well, well yeah, this is a really interesting point. Either or could happen. Yeah. Um, since, and, that, and that's, I'm really glad you brought that up. So we have an event here, our, our effect. And let's make the best list, most complete, complete list we can of all the causes, uh, contributing causes. Now, each one of them has this effect in it as a potential, but each one of them has many other effects as a potential. Right? Each, each, each one of these causes actually has a huge number of potential effects. And what causes any one of those to manifest is which other causes happen to converge with them. So, yeah, there's many possibilities inherent in every particular cause. And it's actually the whole... It's the collective that brings about the specific consequence. So, back to multiple causality. Um, you know, when, when the one last missing ingredient is brought in and poof, the effect appears, it, it has... We can, uh, we can think of it as being kind of inevitable in that particular effect was inherent in all of those causes was just missing this one piece. That's the way I described it. But we could have brought in a different piece and a whole different effect could have emerged. And of course we look at it and all we look at is the last piece and we say, oh, okay, A caused B, but C causes D. And disregard all of these others. So it's a, it's a collective thing that's happening causally. Uh, we, actually, in the next in the next uh, of these implications, we get into this more deeply. 
I've heard me say this before. Actually, everything's the cause of everything. <laughs> uh, cause and effect always arise together, with the uh, effect being uh, uh, inherent within all of its causes, and with the causes being inherent in every effect. And we take advantage of this by working backwards to figure out how things happen. Okay. So what this means really is the arising and passing away of separate things is an illusion. It's a constantly evolving process. When a particular convergence occurs, you know, it's ripe and then the last piece comes in, then that effect appears. And then out of all of those causes and conditions, some cause and condition is going to change it's going to cease to be there. And when it does, the thing that was there is going to cease to be there. But at the same time, so, some other collection of causes and conditions will become complete, and there will be a new event. So what's happening is it's a, it's a continuous process. Yes? Does the idea that we're always simultaneously living and dying um, correlate with that. It, absolutely, it does. And when we when we get to see that there's two versions of or not two versions. There's two things that go under the same title of dependent arising, and they're very closely related. What we're referring to here is the general universal principle. And when we get to the end of this discussion, we'll come to dependent arising two, which is a series of links, which describes how how you as a person are continuously coming into existence and going out of existence. And you're never the same person for two instants in a row. It is exactly this process that's being described. And so it, it is, it's rightly called dependent arising as well, because it's, uh, it's just taking this principle. So in that case, the thing is you, the individual person, the self that you think you are. And that individual person is an illusion. There's just a single continuous process. And your personhood involves a separateness that's imposed by your mind. The single process isn't just um, Joe is a single process, or Susie is a single process. A single process is the entirety of everything. And it's just one particular part of the process that's, that we isolate from the rest of our minds and follow the evolution of that over time, that we identify as the self. <coughs> Good, that I got something there. <laughs> <laughs> so here's 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 the here's another good one. <laughs> Everything everywhere is causally interconnected. Which means that absolutely everything and everyone is an interpenetrating inseparable part of a single, indivisible, causally interdependent whole, best conceived of as a process. One huge process. And we are absolutely inseparable from it, because that whole is indivisible. But how does that come from dependent arising? Well, okay. Can you see how this conclusion comes from this. Everything everywhere is causally interconnected. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. If that makes sense, then all I have to do is point out to you how, in fact, everything is causally interconnected. Okay? So, all right, we're all sitting here in this room. And somewhere in Hong Kong is a cockroach. And so it would seem that that cockroach has nothing to do with 
me sitting here talking to all of you now. But is that really true? <laughs> Everything is due to causes and conditions. So if that cockroach in Hong Kong didn't exist, well, it has to be, there would have to be some changes in the causes and conditions. That's the only way that cockroach could not exist at the same time we were sitting here, is that some one of its causes and conditions must have been different so that cockroach didn't happen. Now, for any particular event, if we made up a whole, made up a list of its causes and conditions, all the ones that we could think of, we'd have a long list. But every one of its causes and conditions is in turn the result of a whole other list of causes and conditions. And each of those. So, what brought us here together, each of you is here because your being here is the convergence of a huge number of causes and conditions. And all of that massive collection of causes and conditions is what makes us all be here right now. Now, for each of us, if we go backwards, the same thing's going to happen with a cockroach. Your being, your being here is a result of a whole lot of different causes and conditions. One of those changes, well then, it's the result of a whole lot of causes and conditions, and that must change. So we're going backwards, and if you, then this, if I knew how to do this with PowerPoint, PowerPoint would really be effective. I could give you a picture, <laughs> but I want you to picture this, that at the, here, here are you at this point of time, and going backwards, it fans out like that to, like, to a whole bunch of causes and conditions. And then each one of those points is the same thing. Well, we don't have to go very far back before the changes that were necessary to eliminate the cockroach in Hong Kong intersect with the causes and conditions that cause you to be here right now. We don't have to go back too many levels, and we're going to get that. And once we do, once we've, in order, we've taken our time machine backwards to eliminate the cockroach, we hit that intersection, now when we go forward again, things are going to be different here. Right? Yes? Well, I probably won't articulate this, and I hope it's... So, I was thinking about, like, the entry and not entry, and how families have these generations, and then would you say that, you know, what is produced generationally has to do with the obviously the dependent arising and maybe what is not resolved or what is desired so you get another body out of it. And, and how do you talk about time when you were saying going back? How do you talk about time with dependent arising in terms of I mean, does time exist? Or my head's kind of swelling. <laughs> I mean, can you actually even talk about these things, or you just, there's like a sense about it, but to articulate it is really confusing. <laughs> um, well, because of the way our minds work, we have to we have to think in terms of, of time. Uh, and, and time is real. It's just not the way that we perceive it. Okay? Um, that, that's a very solidly established fact of physics since the, the time uh, of Einstein and his theory of relativity is that time is another dimension indistinguishable from the other three spatial dimensions, uh, except in terms of the way our mind perceives it. And so any, any one of the four dimensions could be transmuted into the dimension that we call time. And it, and it would look, it, it would manifest the same way. Uh, so, so time is a reality, but at the same time, same time time is not <laughs> what it appears to be to us at all. But anyway, for us to, to use our minds and brains to talk about something, we've got to do it in terms of past and present and future. Okay. But this is an interesting thing. 
the ultimate nature of reality does not involve time the way we see it, but it does involve time. Isn't that an interesting idea? Time is a part of the ultimate nature of reality, but the time, the way we perceive it, is not. That's something that's an artifact of our own mind. Anyway, looking at things from a temporal point of view, you see exactly that the cockroach and our being here, everything, is causally interrelated. And if we kept going backwards, we'd find everything, everything intersects somewhere. So essentially, if you just follow the logic of this, if anything ever changed, if, if, if somehow, if, if magic were possible, if there were a supernatural power that could go and change one thing in the past, it would change everything. Because everything is interconnected causally. There are no, there, there's no, there's really no wiggle room in this. That, Everything is interconnected. Everything is a whole. So we can see that from the point of view of time, assuming that our view of time is accurate, the past makes us what we are now, and what we are now, and what we do now creates the future. Right? But that's, we can actually validate that. Because even, if, even if we treat time the way we do other spatial dimensions as simultaneously existing throughout its entire extent, we come to the same conclusion. Everything is totally interconnected. It makes a whole. And I'm not sure what you're asking about the generational thing. Oh, it was just because I was trying to, I was, I was sort of trying to kind of, sort of grasp like with, about time and, I don't want to take too much time, <laughs> but, but um, you know, why we are here and how we, you know, come in, as you said, a mm -hmm. perfect storm or whatever conditions that would make, you know, my body or your body and that that we come from, you know, if we look, look back in time through this generation on how, you know, I, I was sort of trying to associate with genetics and also if you're thinking of, I was trying to associate it with what, what causes people an attachment to come back or not come back by how they understand it and is in fact, you know, what created a body or whatever all we are, are and aren't is the, the desire or attachment of what wasn't maybe healed or resolved or, you know, what, what, what the, mm -hmm. the people creating you and that exterminate come together, they somehow wanted even though they don't know what they want, but their condition and their causing condition. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking like that. <laughs> okay, well. But then I was thinking about time and how, I mean, does that mean, I feel like I'm in the matrix, like that time mm -hmm. is in the way that really time is, whatever that means, is, is something that sort of holds a container in this realm so that this, mm -hmm. so we can have dependent arising. Well, okay, that last statement, that's a, yeah. Time is a con is a container that we have so that we can understand dependent arising. Yeah, I like that. That's really good. Um, it's the mental container, and even you see, ultimate ultimate reality is is beyond what the human mind can grasp, and time is just a good illustration of that. But your mind can say, "Oh yeah, I can grasp that. I can grasp all time as being." Simultaneous. It's what the medieval Christians called uh, eternity, eternitas, outside of sign. Everything is simultaneous. Didn't mean lasted forever, that's all, all at once. Um, and you say, oh, I can picture that. But that's only a slice of the picture. Um, there's actually, and an, I shouldn't probably get into this, but... <laughs> oh, you can't not now. <laughs> this reality, this reality, from our temporal point of view, we would say that this reality is only one of many possible realities. Right? And we automatically assume that this is the one that is, and all those other possible possible ones aren't. 
But that's not really true. They are all, they are just as real as this one. Yeah. So, what is the thing that you refer to as ultimate reality? Does it, does uh, it ultimate exist reality, independently it, of our understanding? Ultimate, what's that? Does it exist independently of our Absolutely. interpretation of reality? What makes, what makes ultimate reality ultimate is it exists totally interdependent of our, or independent of our understanding of it. That's, that's its, its ultimateness. Our How understanding... Our, our understanding is is limited. Well, the thing is that we this is this is part of this is part of what we want to talk about. Okay, um, and this is some of the things that come up later on. So I, I won't get into it now, but I'll just mention it here. It's very easy as as we as we understand things better, we realize that we can never know ultimate reality, and it's easy to think, well, okay, then. Gee, forget about it. There's no point in trying, no matter what I think it's wrong. But we can know all kinds of things about ultimate reality by inference that are completely accurate within the context of our way of thinking. Okay? So we can know all kinds of things about. And as a matter of fact, one of the things that we can know about ultimate reality is that we can't we can't ever truly grasp ultimate reality. We can know that for a fact. That, that, is, that is the fact, that, that is an enlightenment. When you know that you can't know, then you, then you know something really worthwhile. Ultimate reality is independent of our understanding, but it's not independent of us. Well, that, right. It's impossible because we're a part right. of it. That's right. Yeah, there's, there's no way that we could be separated from so it. So independent of understanding is one thing. Independent of That's right. Okay. Yeah, it's independent of uh, our understanding. Right. But we are a part of it. Yes. Okay. So we're embedded in this sea of causes and effects. Yes. And our minds place these little boxes around some of those causes and effects and puts labels on them and concepts on them, including good and bad. Mm -hmm. When we realize that those boxes are just, mind you know, our boxes. mind doing its thing, it seems like it would be easy to, to slip into a kind of a nihilism that says, well, well, I, don't, I can't know what's good and what's bad, and so why should I even try to influence the outcome? And that would be that would be a, an, an incomplete, a naive understanding. Yeah. Yeah. And it would actually appeal to somebody who was hoping to have an excuse to quit anyway. Sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Hopefully that'll all come clear. Okay. Okay. I watched a show on quantum physics, half-hour show. And I think I understood about 10 seconds of it, okay? And that, that what I thought I understood was that the relationship between cause and effect is not as clear-cut as you might think, okay? And so, and now you've destroyed that 10 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> and I'm not sure anymore because a lot of what you're saying is bringing back bits and pieces of that mm -hmm. program on quantum physics, which was sounds like it was dealing with the same kind of issue. Well, the thing with, uh, yeah, it was dealing with exactly the same kind of issues. Quantum physics really, really has a strong convergence with, with these ideas that the Buddha... Hey, that's actually an improvement. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's prepared itself. Just yes. <laughs> <laughs> a, a lot of people have noticed that how many of the things that quantum physics says are, are similar to what we discover for ourselves if we if we pursue the same thought processes that the Buddha did. Uh, Although there's a tendency to overdo that and and overimagine it, but you know, the thing that what quantum physics says uh, is that like quantum physics does not <coughs> deny 
this kind of causality that we're talking about. But it says that all causality is probabilistic. Okay? The probability that, that, uh, that causality is not mechanical. Causality is probabilistic. And with the universe taken as a whole, what happens is an expression of these probabilities. Now, if we look at an isolated incident, okay, there is a 99.99999, go off for a while there, percent probability that when you put the match to the gunpowder, it's going to go off. But quantum physics says there is a particular level at which that things become unpredictable. And that's why the probability of anything is never 100%. But in terms of the, the world at the level that we live in, we could assume that it was 100%. Because the match is always going to ignite the gunpowder, in our experience. But there exists this minute probability that it won't. And that is just as real. Because, and what it does has interesting consequences. One thing, with mechanistic causality, we end up in a totally deterministic universe. Everything that could ever happen is already predetermined. As a matter of fact, it was predetermined from the beginning of time. But in a quantum universe, that is not the case. That, that things can change. And uh, another thing that's converging on this is uh, the study of of open dynamic uh, systems, chaos theory, the mathematics of that. Which it turns out, everything you look at in the universe is a chaotic system, and the universe as a whole is a gigantic chaotic system. You know, uh, So this applies very directly, and, and it says that when the butterfly flaps its wings in Hong Kong, it can cause a thunderstorm in London. But it doesn't instantaneously cause that. It, it, uh, a lot of little subtle things that are at the same microscopic level of probabilities that quantum mechanics talks about. That, that's where the real wiggle room is. The thunderstorm that happens in London is going to happen way down the road after an unfolding of a lot of different causally interconnected events. So what quantum mechanics is telling you is that Yes, all of this is absolutely true, but we don't live in a totally deterministic world as a result of it. That's, that's really what it's telling you. So causality, yeah, if it says that causality isn't, cause and effect aren't as cut and dried as they appear to be, that's true. Because if they were cut and dried as they appear to be, we would live in a Newtonian universe and everything would be predetermined, but it's not. Which is also this other thing I said, this reality is only one possible reality, but all of the others simultaneously exist as well. And that also is a consequence of, of this same thing. Um, there are these microscopic bifurcation points where a divergence takes place, and, and uh, it's even smaller than a butterfly's wings. It's whether a particular electron goes out of existence and comes back into existence in the same place, you know, in, in the next moment. It's an extremely tiny event, but when it, when that event happens according to the, this little tiny probability of it not showing up where the same place it disappeared from, it produces a totally different reality. And that reality exists too. So, so yeah, I, what you got from your quantum physics program is true but you might have understood it in the wrong way. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've listened to intention, mm -hmm. and I've listened to quantum reality, and I'm starting to wonder if intention is a dimension. If what? Is intention 
a dimension. Is intention a dimension? If time is a dimension that we can perceive kind of wonky in comparison to the way we think of length, width, depth, and, and, and the things we know. And we know that there are about 11 dimensions, two of which are time and some of them are curled around each and, other. And why couldn't one of them be intention? Why I think that's a really interesting, interesting thought. It's and well worth pursuing. Actually, what you're asking is, can we take the mental model that we use for time and space and can we use that same mental and can we plug other variables into it and discover interesting things about them as well? And I, my answer would be most likely yes. Why don't you try it? <laughs> yeah, well, actually I have. Okay. And that's, that's why I wonder if, we, if intention is kind of like this rail track switching between all these equally probable, not so equally probable, I mean, I'm thinking that you talk about the match will ignite the powder. You have to mean for it to, or you're not going to even um, pick up the match. You don't have to mean for it to. Oh. <laughs> well, you you, you got to pick up the match. Well, you're I, not going to think you, it. You, okay, you meant to do something when you picked up the match, uh, yeah. and what you meant to do is definitely one of the causes and conditions that leads to the explosion, or lack of it. That much is true, absolutely. But there's no way that you could pick up the map match and apply it to the gunpowder and mean for it not to explode, and it won't. Intention will not do that. Right, right. <laughs> I wasn't going there. Okay. But it'd be cool if it. It would be cool. If it did. <laughs> yeah. I have a much less technical question. <laughs> I was um, wondering. Sorry. No, I don't mean like than everyone else's, but um. I was wondering what your take was on, um, you hear a lot um, that just sort of vague statements that everything happens for a reason mm -hmm. with no other um, explanation. And it's particularly if, you know, something bad happens to you or something like that. I think they're well-meaning statements kind of tick people off sometimes, but, um, <laughs> but you know, I, but I don't think, and I think maybe it could, could have some reference to this, but I don't think it does always. And well, in a way it does. It, it you're thinking, yeah. when you say that everything, and you're thinking a world of all these different things, right. happens for a reason, so now you have a little tag hanging off of each thing that says, this is my reason. Right. Okay? That's how you're thinking of it. Um, I'm encouraging you to think of it as everything, yeah. a totality, happens for a reason. Yeah, it, yeah I can see okay. that it does. Yeah. And the reason that everything happens is everything. Mm -hmm. It happens for its own sake. Yeah. Back to everything, when a thing happens, it doesn't have a little tag on it that says, this is my reason, but you can put one on it. And that's what you're encouraged to do. That's what, when you've got lemons, make lemonade means. Right? Mm -hmm. That's exactly what that means. Everything that happens, happens for a reason. In other words, there's a potential, there is something potential that you can make be the reason for it happening. And you should. Right, right. And you should. Otherwise, if you don't, most likely what's going to happen is your mind is automatically going to make the reason it happened was to make me miserable. Yeah, right. All right. So yeah. if you don't step in and make it the kind of reason you want to make it, yeah. that's oh, exactly see. what's going to happen. Okay. Okay. So this this idea here, this is this is a, a potent idea, and it's a transforming idea. Absolutely everything and everyone is an interpenetrating, inseparable part of a single, indivisible, causally interdependent whole, best conceived of as a process. This is, this is powerful. As a matter of fact, in a handout, I don't think I put this on the other side, there's a Buddhist scholar by the name of Rupert Geffen. And as he puts it, the secret of the universe lies in the nature of causality, the way one thing leads to another. As he, he studied this and he realized the implications of it. In a sense, you could say that dependent arising 
is perhaps the key that opened the Buddha's mind so that he could understand everything else that he understood. It was the key to his insight and awakening, was truly understanding. I mean, he, he wasn't just wasting his time those seven years that he was practicing following all those other teachers. He made himself right. And there's actually two different accounts in the sutras of the Buddha's enlightenment. And one account says, well, in the first watch of the night, I saw countless past lives. And in the second watch of the night, I saw the arising and passing away of beings of every kind. And the third watch of the night, I can't remember that one was. Anyway, that was one version. And the other version that he told to a different group of people at a different time, and keep in mind what I said last night about the Buddha's teachings, he talked in different ways to different people. To a different group of people, he described his uh, awakening. In the first watch of the night, I contemplated the dependent arising of all things. How every all arises due to causes and conditions, and all passes away due to causes and conditions. And when this is, that is, and whenever this arises, that arises. And when this ceases, that ceases, and so on. And in the second watch of the night, I contemplated uh, dependent, he, he contemplated dependent arising in the second sense of how we come to be what we are in the reverse order. How can we escape from being what we are, which is suffering beings? So, what I'm saying to you is that dependent arising, these thoughts here, they're, they're really key to understanding the Buddhist thinking. And having, having grown up in this society and being educated the way you are, you're really close and it's really easy for you to grasp this if you allow yourself to. And it will open you up. It will increase the likelihood of you achieving insight if you can, if you can hold this in mind, whatever you experience. Every time you experience yourself as so lonely and separate and isolated and the victim of circumstances and everything else, if you can remember that, I'm an inseparable part of a whole. And everything that happens is, is causally interconnected. I am not. This, this thing that I'm looking at and saying it's, me, it's poor me is not really a thing at all. It's just an event that is occurring in a continuously evolving process. And so on with all of these things. <clears throat> 